Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 88 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson here with Brian Goblin Rabble Master Gottlieb. Is this because you've been uh, stirring up a whole mess of stuff? Yeah, I, I have been everywhere I go stirring up controversy. I'm just speaking my mind. I don't understand why people are so outraged these days. I, I raised up uh, some ire with my article this week. Then I made a completely innocuous Twitter post about you know how I see the pro tour going in the future. People weren't too pleased about that either. So just left and right controversy following me all around this week. Why, man? What what's gotten into you? Why do you keep doing this? I don't know. I'm just speaking my mind, like I always have. And you know, there's some interesting stuff happening in Magic right now. Some decisions I find questionable, and some things I really like too. And I wanted to make my opinions known. And you know, a lot of people are digging it, feeling what I'm saying. A lot of people are not into my ideas for the future of Magic. So I don't know. It, it's a it's a testy world out there. People are are ready to fight, and you know, I guess I'm playing my part in being a rabble master. So, well, c- you know, good for you. Someone's got to do it. I do think that you know, just quick hits version. Nexus of Fate is basically a mistake. Not not even necessarily from a design perspective, but that coupled with the distribution methods uh, has led to some awkward scenarios. Oh, and yeah. yeah, I also think that Limited has just run run the course on the pro tour and it doesn't really belong in like modern day magic and like you know it could every everything could change right but for right now people are super focused on constructed the pro tour is meant to sell boosters of the new set which constructed does a lot better than limited does and no one is really interested in limited coverage. And I, I I know that there are people out there that like limited a lot and like that's their favorite part of the pro tour and everything, but there should be something else for those people. Correct. That is, I mean, that's the essence of my argument. And I think it's something that a lot of people missed. I love limited. I love playing limited. I love watching limited. I love limited. I just don't think it needs to be a part of the flagship events for Magic. It it needs to have its own kind of niche market. And if it's done really well, it can be super successful. It can be on par with Pro Tour events if you find the right ways to present it and, you know, improve broadcast quality to such an extent that it's really undeniable. Maybe it could be more popular than the Pro Tour. Who knows? But it, it needs to be its own entity at this point, because when you're saying this is the best of our game and there's this kind of format that's very impenetrable for a lot of people and a lot of people find it boring. That was the response I got over and over. I do not feel this way. That's the main thing I want to make very clear. I don't feel this way, but I think a very, very large percentage of the viewing audience does. And I think it's time to at least consider a change because where this comes from is everyone loved this Pro Tour. The response to this Pro Tour was overwhelming. And I think a lot of that is being wrongly assigned 
to this being a team event. That's not what's going on here. People are not into this pro tour because it was teams. They're into it because they didn't watch any limited because there are a couple different formats they could watch because legacy made a somewhat triumphant return to the pro tour stage. I'm not saying bring legacy back. Keep that in mind. I, I do think that would be a mistake, but split standard modern pro tours. I'm into that. I like that idea. It just doesn't seem like draft is doing the job it's supposed to. And look, there's a reason that there used to be draft only pro tours. Those are gone now for a very, very good and correct reason. And I think the next logical step is just saying, okay, this is not part of our pro tour anymore. I find it hard to believe that people who have magic's best interests in mind would realistically say that limited deserves to be on the pro tour like it is very difficult for magic to continue to grow if these broadcasts continually have a spot where just several people are tuning out altogether you know it's like you want people to tune in because it's you know whatever time and they woke up and it's the thing that's on and you want them to stick around not like check it out and be like oh you know maybe i'll come back in four hours when the limited portion's done Right. The battle for attention is high stakes and difficult at this stage of the game. There's so many things competing for attention. And if limited is not capturing attention, it's got to go. It can't be part of the flagship event anymore. It, It should absolutely remain part of the game. It's important part of the game, but it needs to be separate from the pro tour. One of the ideas I threw about was just if you top eight a limited GP, you're invited to the end of the year limited championships. And that's like a hundred thousand dollar event where it's just draft only. And, you know, so there's this kind of new dimension to top eight in a limited GP, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, that is sweet. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to iron out there, but that was just off the top of my head. And there's a lot of different ideas that can be explored to keep limited around without impacting the quality of the pro tour broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of different knobs to turn to try and figure out a good solution to that. But clearly what is going on right now is not the perfect solution. Like there, there needs something needs to get fixed. I'm with you. Word. So we just had a pro tour. I was in attendance. I finished, I think actual dead last. I didn't check. Someone told me I I got actual dead last though. I also did not look at the standings, but uh, I know that wins were not plentiful. And by not plentiful, I mean non-existent for you at this Pro Tour. Ooh, that's not true because I, I did win some matches. Okay, you personally had some wins. I take that back. And No, I think I think all of like me and my teammates had some match wins, just never in the right time right. together. Right. Our team did not win any matches. So uh, kind of weird coming off of last week's app where... I think we recorded on a Wednesday and you felt yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was Wednesday because we had just submitted our decks. So right. uh, even if we had recorded on a Tuesday, I think I was like pretty confident with what we were doing and everything. And yeah, I did feel good. And even now it's like, I still feel pretty good about the decks that we selected, especially given like the metagame breakdowns and what ended up happening and everything. Like if we just go over, very quickly, one by one, uh, we had Matt Severa in our standard seat playing the Mono Blue Paradoxical Outcome deck. We figured out that it had a very good, like, red-black, you know, the more mid-rangey they got, the the worse it was for them. So, like, we had a good red-black matchup, especially since that is the majority of the red decks that people played in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And Mono Green with a splash was 
uh, somewhat dicey, but definitely very winnable. And then like control was good. Turbo fog was good. And yeah, for some reason, I don't know, like Severa did not pick up many wins. Josh Cho played our Vengevine hollow one deck and every single deck list from the pro tour was published. So if, if people want to go and find these decks, like they're certainly there, they're available and, and they're also shared with our Patreons as well. Uh, you shared them yeah. right when the Pro Tour started. Yep. So that's a nice Absolutely. spot to grab them. And yeah, Cho also did not win many matches. And then I played Grixis Control in Legacy, and I won a couple maybe. But yeah, Grixis Control, surprisingly enough, ended up being the most played Legacy deck. Yeah, this was just not a real deck going into this Pro Tour. I mean, it, it, it wasn't certainly not considered one of the pillars of the format. I think people thought Grixis Delver would still be around, but Grixis Control is a whole different entity. Well, especially all the lists were very similar. Right. And why, why is that? <laughs> the reason for that is this Pro Tour was weird to prepare for because it was like, all right, you have your team, right? But mm-hmm. for the most part, you kind of figure out who is going to be playing what format, and then that player works on that format. And then since the rest of your team is doing other stuff, that player actually finds like a different three-person team or two to work with to talk about their format. So I figured that I was going to be playing Legacy. I didn't know that for sure because Cho and I are like fairly versatile and kind of like growing up playing the SCG events meant that sure. we've we've both played a lot of Legacy or whatever. So that was kind of interchangeable. But I, I figured that I was probably going to be the one who ended up playing Legacy. So I wanted to work with Matt Costa and Dave Shields, who... Uh, I've also played like a bunch of legacy events on SCG tour and everything. And they prefer blue cards, especially in eternal formats, which kind of meshes with what I would prefer to play. Like if anything, I think I am known for like tuning blue decks to beat other blue mirrors in legacy. Like that is just a thing that I did in a lot of tournaments and had a reasonable amount of success with. And the day after Gataxian Probe and Deathrite Shaman got banned. I sent those two guys a list, like a very rough list for Grixis Control, because it was like, yeah, Deathrite got banned. Like the four color Leovold deck that was good now basically didn't exist. Like a lot of people just thought it was dead, but you still have Snapcaster Mage, Hymn to Turok, Baleful Strix, Kolagon's Command. Like you have this insane card advantage and disruption engine. Right. So. I put a list of that together, sent it over to them. Unbeknownst to me, they were also talking to Jonathan Murawski, a.k.a. John O'Miser, and he played it on a dummy account, 5 to League, got it published, and it just kind of like blew up from there. Oh, so it's a, like a quasi-leak situation. Not not really a leak, Yes, yeah, that's, that's how of, it got out there. Sort of, but I mean, if... People knew my deck list going into the tournament. I didn't think it would be a big deal, but I think people were just kind of starving for a control option that wasn't of the blue-white miracles variety, right? Like, people enjoy playing these grindy blue decks in Legacy, and this was a deck that offered that up to them, and just a lot of people ended up gravitating towards it. Like, BBD played it, Kenji Samura played it. Like, a lot of, like, very well-known players actually just, like, picked up this deck presumably just copying it off of Magical Online, right? Like, you don't come up with a list that's like four Snapcaster, four Baleful Strix, two Gurmag Angler, right? Like, that that's a me thing. That does sound very you. <laughs> that's right up your alley. So, yeah, I, I take full credit slash blame for 
what happens. And the the downside isn't that like, oh man, there was like a lot of Grixis and people were prepared for it because whatever, like how how are you going to prepare for this deck, right? People, a bunch of people played Eldrazi, which is mostly pretty weak to Kolagon's Command and Baleful Strix anyway. So the main disappointment was that the people who played Grixis that would have otherwise played some other blue deck ended up playing matchups that were like coin flip control mirrors instead of matchups that were probably going to be good matchups. Right. As opposed to getting all the miracles matchups and weirdo bug control stuff. You just had to play the straight up mirror. Yeah. So not an ideal situation. It it didn't really punish me, but like it certainly could have. And I'm kind of curious to hear what other people's experiences were because yeah, it it would just be weird if you're like, all right, I'm going to play this. Grixis control deck, it looks sweet, and then just there's a million of them in the room, and you're like, what the hell happened? Like, how did everyone decide on this, you know? Yeah, it's a shame. This has been a, a frustrating tournament not to be able to pull data from. I want data so badly from this tournament, and we just can't glean anything. I would love to know how being the most played deck in the room kind of out of nowhere I want to know how Grixis Control performed. Is this the new best deck in Legacy? I mean, people are hyped about Death Shadow now, um, which seemed to be kind of the breakout deck. Uh, it oh, had existed, God. but people are very high on the Raptor build. I'm assuming, based on your Ogading, you do not feel the same way. I think that deck is completely rancid. So you're going to have to tell us why. <laughs> so let's see. Earlier this week, I wrote an article for Star City That's on the select side so everyone can read it. And it was about a few different things uh, surrounding Pro Tour 25th anniversary. And the number one thing that I talked about very, very briefly was the Blue Black Death Shadow deck. I was talking to Tom Martell, I think, after round three, and he was playing that deck. And I was like, I I don't know. Somehow we just got to talking about his deck and whatever. And he was just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure like this deck is bad, whatever. And I told him my experiences from trying to brew with Death Shadow back in like 2013, I think, 2012. Mm, I think, I I think it was 2012. I, I played the deck back then when you were brewing it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I figured out ways to solve some of those issues, but the list that CFB played doesn't have any of those solutions. They still have the same issue. Like Baleful Strix is just a nightmare card for you. Sure. And your plan against control is just to outthreat them. You go down to, you know, two lands and hope that you have three creatures or whatever. That's basically where you want to get the game state to. But assuming they have enough ways to kill your big things, and Baleful Strix certainly counts as that, like, the longer the game goes, the more you're just likely to get buried. And I played against Andrew Beckstrom round one, and I was just like, this matchup's a joke. Like, how how did you end up playing this deck? Especially since he's supposed to be like an elves guy, you know? Like I was scared of the elves matchup when we sat down to play round one and then I just dismantled him. Like games were just not even close. Somewhat of a counterpoint, Luis said that he was four and one against Grix's control decks on the weekend, but it's like, you know, Luis got Vargas against random Pro Tour player, right? Like, especially in eternal format, that's kind of like uh Luis's sandbox, right? Right. Right. But but yeah, you can't realistically expect to have a good matchup against decks that contain Baleful Strix just in general. And you have similar issues with just decks like swarming the battlefield. Like we see this in Modern where Grix's Death Shadow had to splash Teamer Battle Rage effectively to be able to like get over humans and elves and like all these random decks. Right. Because just making a, a giant ground monster doesn't really do anything against them. So Legacy still has that issue. 
those decks aren't necessarily prevalent, but like they certainly could be, right? Like if uh, death and taxes or elves or whatever like shows up in reasonable numbers, I would not be shocked. Right, and death and taxes was you know pretty present in this tournament. It, it seems like this death shadow deck would do a superb job of trashing combo decks. Yeah, absolutely. Like any sort of like blue black Delver deck, like you don't need to do the team or Delver thing where you just like mana screw them and have a bunch of counter spells or whatever. Like blue black mm. having hand disruption and counter spells just puts the combo decks in like this weird chokehold, especially once you sideboard like him to Turok. It's just like you can strain all their resources and slowly kill them with the Delver, whereas like Teamer is trying to just mana screw them or Blue Red Delver is trying to burn your opponent out or what have you. What's messed up, though, is that if you're the control version, you know, a deck similar to yours, is that you get that same access of interaction. And when you're able to efficiently use discard backed up by permission, the fact that your clock is slower in those decks doesn't matter all that much. Like you just get to a point where there's really no threat they can ever present to you. You have a Snapcaster Mage in hand, you have Colligan's Command, you're going to basically have the answer at all points in time. It feels a little scarier in that the game goes on a few more turns, but it's fundamentally the same game. You just reach a point where they are so starved for resources to force through your disruption that how you end the game is kind of irrelevant at that point. Yeah, I mean, there are games that are sweats where you have one or two pieces of interaction and they have a force of will or something like some counterplay. And then it's a race to see whether or not you can find some card drawing to give you more interaction or actually find a clock. But yeah, I would say most of the time, you know, you resolve a him to Turok against combo and all things being equal. Like you're probably going to win unless your deck just has a lot of air in it. I would also say that that scenario you're envisioning, I buy it in game ones. Absolutely. By the time you get to game twos and you've upgraded all the dead cards in your deck, it I mean, it just feels so hard for them to overcome those kind of setups. And, you know, you're looking at now you have targeted hate and even more disruption, and even more counter spells. So I don't know. I, I certainly haven't played with the Death Shadow deck, so I don't want to rush to any judgments. I do think that something with a little bit more long game is is way more up my alley. If I were going to play a Delver deck, I would want it to be with Bowman Courier and maybe Price of Progress. Okay, so you just want straight aggression. Well, Bowman Courier, I think, is very underrated and gives you a bunch of long game applications. And I don't know, man. Like this, this Death Shadow thing just has way too many inherent weaknesses for me to want to buy into this, especially since the sideboard is so weak, too. Like, Blue Black has a lot of good supporting cards, but they don't make up for a good sideboard. Hold on. Are you, are you saying Throne of Geth is not a premium sideboard card in the format? Yeah, I am saying that. Hmm. <laughs> Weird, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I, don't, I, I have nothing to say about that. I find it very hard to believe that's the optimal option for what you're trying to do. I think it's cool, but yeah, that was one that caught my eye for sure. Yeah, I played against one of the CFB people on Magic Online. And this is when I was testing Eldrazi at some point. I played a Chalice, they played a Throne of Geth. And I'm just like, that is cute. And my opponent is definitely playing in the Pro Tour. And like, if I had to guess, like that was a Raptor card. <laughs> you spotted it. No, no one just shows up with Throne of Geth, you know? Right, right. But yeah, I, I think that deck is super overrated. I think that Grixis Control is 
good, but not format defining or crushing or anything. I do think that if people want that sort of controlling option, like you definitely have it. The deck is certainly viable. Big portion of people playing in this pro tour decided that it was the best legacy deck that they could play. Like people don't just make those decisions at random. This is true. So I guess I'm going to put you on the spot now. Give me the best deck in Legacy as it stands right now. You don't believe it's those decks? What is it exactly? Maybe Death and Taxes. Hmm. With blue decks losing Gitaxian Probe and Deathrite Shaman, they got significantly weaker and are now just untuned messes of cards because they don't know how to optimize in the face of a new format and without the tools that they're used to. So the blue decks will get better over time, but DNT is just kind of like this tuned machine. All of its like, you know, greatest opponents just got that much weaker. So I wouldn't say that if I were playing a legacy tournament, I was gonna play Death and Taxes, but if you wanted to, anyone out there listening, uh, I certainly could not fault you for it. I was gonna say that's a, a surprising answer from you, not because I don't think you can recognize when a deck like this is well positioned. It's just that this is the antithesis of the type of deck you usually hate especially in powered up formats like modern or legacy nah man i've i i top an invitational with maverick okay yeah I, I i like that assessment death and taxes like you said new tools you know has gotten some interesting prints over the past few years whereas the blue decks just keep losing stuff i think if i had a legacy tournament to play I'd probably just play Grixis Control. I, I just enjoy the playstyle so much. And if it's if it's a viable option, I'm confident I will play it well enough that even if it's not the best option, I'm likely to gain more from having access to that style of deck. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly felt some of that. I think I lost to an Eldrazi deck. I lost to a Sneak and Show deck. Uh, Eldrazi just kind of smashed me. Uh, their draws were great and mine were pretty bad. What do you have to say about that deck? I like it. I don't necessarily like the versions that people played in the Pro Tour. Okay. So there were some versions popping up on Magic Online that had Grim Monolith, which may seem kind of weird. It's just like this super awkward Simeon Spirit Guide, you know? Right. But it gives you a lot of play going into the later stages of the game where now suddenly it's kind of trivial to activate Eye of Ugin and your walking ballistas are just incredible. Like, the, the deck just gets so much more play in the late game instead of playing like Simeon Spirit Guides and GTAs. Yeah, I can I can buy that. You know, I've had a difficult relationship with the Eldrazi in Legacy. I often find them underwhelming. This is a cool new wrinkle, though, and having those really strong walking ballistas is good against a lot of the format. So, nice yeah, death and, death and Taxes especially. Yeah. Death Shadow, maybe not so much, but late game ballistas, I mean, they're, they're going to be at a low life total almost certainly. So. Sure. Yeah, you can just steal the game. They have to play very carefully around your ballista mana. Yep. So uh, I, I do like Eldrazi. I think that those decks could be tuned as well. I'm kind of surprised by the amount of people that actually chose to play that deck. Ephra played it. Kevin Jones played it. Just these, these people who I would not normally think would actually register that deck. So. I think the hype train was rolling on that deck. Uh, it had just won the Legacy Challenge. The person who had won the Legacy Challenge tweeted a bit about it. So it, it was kind of the the sexy pickup for this tournament. Okay. Who tweeted about it? Who was it? I don't remember the name. I apologize to the player who did well with it, but it, it's not coming to me off the top of my head. Okay. I I did a decent amount of research 
looking at various lists, I'm certain I came across theirs. I don't follow enough Magic Online grinders on Twitter. I feel like it, it would be so good for me. Like the, the Shadowverse players and the Hearthstone players, they're always tweeting about like what they're playing with on ladder and stuff. And Magic just doesn't have a lot of that, you know, because everyone's trying to hide their decks for upcoming tournaments and stuff like that, or they're working with teams or whatever. And yeah, it's it, just, very it just different. makes me sad. Well, you know what makes it super convenient in the Hearthstone realm, and you clued me in on this, is that there's one account in particular that just grabs all of these tweets from all the pros and retweets them. And right. so you follow that one account and you get everything. So, you know, if someone out there wants to take up the mantle and just follow every Magic Online grinder, and when we do get these kernels of information, give me some retweets, you'll get my follow for sure. I kind of do that when, like, for the people I do follow, if their decks are cool, I'm I'm certainly tweeting about them. It's not like, oh, I 5 0 to Standard League with Red Black, here's my deck list, and I retweet it. Like, that's just not going to happen, you know? But Yeah, well, I mean, you're a low-volume tweeter, though. And we, we need am. someone to take up the mantle and just do this 24-7, all tweets, all the time. I, I just keep it 100% business, man. That's it. I understand. If I'm composing a tweet, I want it to be high-impact, like hot-fire, meaningful. That is a very uh, economical approach to tweeting. Most of us just throw whatever nonsense is on our minds out into the ether over and over, uh, screaming into the void meaninglessly. But I, I like your approach too. I'm sure that's probably uh, a little a little bit better for your sanity most of the time. Yeah, it's a bold strategy, but uh, it's it's worked out so far for me. I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I beat Eldrazi Post, beat Death Shadow, and who knows what else I played against. We didn't play that many rounds, so it shouldn't be that difficult for me to remember, but it was a very exhausting weekend, you know? Maybe you've blocked out a lot of this tournament at this point. I know I played a mirror. I I played one mirror against Dave Shields, the person who I worked with. Okay. If I were playing in a legacy tournament, I don't know that I would actually play Grixis just because of the closing speed and game one, you have kind of the Jund issue where, you know, if you draw the wrong portion of your deck, it's just going to end up being pretty bad for you post board that mostly changes assuming your sideboard is pretty good and yeah i think i had a good sideboard for the tournament but it's still just like i don't know I, i'm kind of just like in a i want to kill people mood like maybe i'll try something with thing in the ice or whatever that card seems pretty nice i like it yeah i never got around to testing it i wish i would have uh there's always the next team pro tour which i'm sure <laughs> we'll probably go back to the well fairly soon because that's the way these things go yeah i was gonna say response. I was going to say it's it would either be in 25 more years or within the next 12 months. Right, right. Those are the two options for sure. So I think it's more likely to be within the next 12 months. But I think so too. I think whenever there's positive reviews, we're likely to get a, a deluge of it. So, Oh, no. it's Yeah, it is always just I enjoyed watching this pro tour and then the – the takeaway is team tournaments are great. People really enjoy them. We should do them more. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily what that means, but whatever. Yep. So for modern kind of called it bridge from below Vengevine spiked kind of outrageously in price. Yeah. If you've been listening to our cast the last few weeks and really taking what we've been saying to heart, you might have made a lot of money before this pro tour if you had stocked up on your bridges from belows and venge vines at this point. I made some money, uh, but not as much as I should have. Well, some is better than none. Hopefully, our uh, listeners were more enterprising than you and were able to to pick up all their venge vines and bridge from belows. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, 
I mean, this is that was like the most obvious call in the history. It is kind of weird to sit here and see this deck just crushing it over and over again and with the price not moving at all. I, I think people just needed to get the final okay from the pro community that this was a real thing. Right, right. That last kind of uh, push over the hump was definitely given this weekend. And Vengevine's here to stay. I think one of the questions that needs to be answered going forward is that there is some duplication and occupation of the same space between Vengevine and Hollow One. And I'm very curious what drives people to come out on one side or the other. As it stands now, I think Vengevine is the more exciting option, but Hollow One won the tournament for whatever that's worth in the team context. And Hollow One was certainly well represented at this tournament. So there is definitely a sect of people. And I don't really buy that anyone who was a serious competitor at this Pro Tour was unaware of the Vengevine deck going into it. That's That just doesn't seem realistic to me. I think they were aware of the deck, but if you play at all with the Goblin Bushwhacker version, you're just like, man, some of these cards are pretty bad and this deck is super high variance and yada, yada, yada. Like it has a lot of issues. Honestly, most of the pro community will play with a deck like that. And instead of trying to fix it and work on it and just be like, oh, there is something powerful here. They just immediately move off of it and go back to something that is more comfortable. That's a problematic approach, I think, especially when it comes to a pro tour. If you if you see there's this broken thing going on, push on it. Push on it as hard as you can and see if you can get it to snap into. That's always been my approach when you find these kind of interactions and these just points of power, these things that are so much faster than everything else in the format, so much more resilient. You have to lean into them as hard as possible and see what you can get out of them. Well, if that's the case, how do you explain the absurd amount of red-black that was in the tournament in the standard seat. We're going to get to that. Look, red-black is a safe option. I think it has fine matchups. As I've often referred to it, it is occupying the 50-50 deck space of the format. I think it has a bunch of fine matchups. I think you can tune it very carefully. And I think it was the absolute best deck for a period. And therefore, a lot of the best players had a lot of experience with it and were comfortable with it why there wasn't more adaptation done. I don't know. I don't know. I'm surprised. I think over the course of this past year, I've been surprised at how little innovation has shown up at the Pro Tour. And I don't know if it's a timing thing, like the Pro Tour is happening a little bit after set release and, you know, people fooling themselves into thinking equilibrium has been reached before it actually has. I'm, I'm not sure what's happening here, but it's a pattern that's played out at virtually every single Pro Tour this year where there just hasn't been the amount of innovation I would expect. And Red Black was 40% of this Pro Tour. That's one, a staggering number. Two, a problematic number, I think. But thankfully, there are some heroes on the horizon that we're going to talk about. And uh, you know, I, I do think this metagame will find some flux now. But if you just looked at those numbers at the start of the day, those were scary, scary numbers. It seemed like there might be a real problem in standard with 40% red black representation. Nope. Standard is completely okay. And just because a bunch of pros use the, as you called it safe choice, which I take to mean bad choice. You can take it that way for sure. That doesn't mean anything, especially since it's a team tournament. They're probably like, Oh, well, 
this deck is likely to win 40% of its matches or whatever. It's like, that. that's not a great idea, you know? I don't know. I don't know what, what people were thinking. I don't know if they spent more time trying to break modern or trying to break legacy. It seems like everyone pretty much showed up with very stock decks. So to the folks who disappeared into a cabin for multiple weeks trying to break it, you failed. Yeah, coming out with red black was was not breaking it. But uh, you you can't hate on everyone because some folks absolutely came to play at this tournament for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we did some good work on the Vengevine list. I think it still has a lot of way to go, but I do think that it is good and it it does like the early game quick burst a little bit better than Hollow One, and its cards are a little bit better on average but you don't necessarily have like the super late game resiliency, which Patrick Dickman had Leyline of the Void main deck, which could solve some of that because then your bridges are basically untouchable. Always there. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, dredge decks used to pick up having Leyline of the Void in post-board games. It wasn't about always graveyard hate. It was just like, "Mm, I'm keeping my bridges and there's nothing you can do about it. And a lot of matchups, that's good enough. Yeah. You play against goblins and they have like Mog Fanatic, Skirk Prospector and... Nope suddenly their deck doesn't work right like they're trying to fight your busted engine with a bunch of one mana one ones and three mana two twos so right ley line ends up being super awkwardly good against them but uh as as far as standard yeah we have people like gabe nasif ben rubin uh mark herberholz dave williams who ended up playing the turbo fog deck and then there's the mtg mint card contingent too and then a couple other stragglers who found different versions of the deck and Leading up to the PT, I played against multiple different versions of Turbo Fog-ish decks in the standard queues. Oddly enough, I didn't really see a whole lot of them 5-0-ing, even though they beat me very badly. Mm, It's almost like people were controlling that aspect of things. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah, would not expect that. So I'm I'm over the victory lap at this point. I've, I've done enough talking about Nexus of Fate as a call. I instead want to talk about Nexus of Fate going forward and what this deck means for standard. Certainly this deck does a very good job against some of the major players. They, as they are constructed right now, as they were constructed at the pro tour, they had virtually no shot and Nexus of Fate got to walk through a bunch of buys. This is an amazing, amazing call for the pro tour. But as we come out of the pro tour, I'm of the opinion, as much of a Nexus of Fate lover as I am, there is no strategy that's easier to target, that's easier to bend your deck around, that's easier to find a way to hate out than something like Turbo Fog. There's so many ways to invalidate their plan. Uh, you know, insult to injury is already floating around. Yeah, um, I, I was actually just thinking I need to bring all of my copies to GPLA because the dealers are definitely not going to bring them and people are definitely going to need them. Right. And I, I think correctly so. Uh, I think that's a very strong card against Turbo Fog. Uh, people are talking Lost Legacy. Lost Legacy is a problematic card. I'm not super sold on that approach. They'll have negates in post-board games if they're anticipating Lost Legacy. And the deck is actually multifaceted. Like, what are you naming with Lost Legacy where you think you just beat them on the spot? Taking Nexus of Fate is good, but they've adapted to play a different game in post-board games if they know you're going to do that. And again, I think this is one of the more powerful fog decks we've seen i think it does have a nice bifurcated game plan it it does a lot of things very very well but that doesn't cover up the fact that it's still a deck that's designed to operate on a very specific axis and once you're aware of it it becomes much easier to play around now 
all that being said, people adapt slowly. So we're headed into a GP this weekend, which is standard down in Orlando. I could buy Nexus of Fate having a huge weekend, but that will probably be the last one. And it'll remain around the fringes of the format. It might be a good call again. I don't think this deck is taking over the format by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not really possible. Right. It's too too easy to adapt. Can't unring the bell. People are very aware of it. I agree that this deck was already super resilient to things like duress and pressure. Just things like Lost Legacy don't do it when your deck also has like 10 Planeswalkers or whatever. Right, right. Plenty of other ways to win the game. So, yeah, I I do think that things like Insult to Injury are going to be very good. They're going to be widely played, and the Turbo Fog deck is mostly going to have like a pretty bad time. Yeah, and it's not like Turbo Fog doesn't have already existing poor matchups. They... I mean, anytime you're sideboarding in 15 cards in some matchups, you're acknowledging that you're going to have a difficult time winning. Those matchups remain. I think that these sideboard plans are strong. They're they're very, you know, the Burral plan in, in post-board control games, that's awesome. I love it because I've played it on the blue-white control side. And, you know, just a few counter spells and some Burrals can take you a lot of the way there and help you set up your Planeswalkers. And I buy that as a successful strategy. But as people adapt, as people you know, find good hate cards as they make little tweaks to their deck, which shouldn't matter all that much. There's a lot of one card tweaks you can make in certain places that just will completely change matchups around. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Do you know what you're leaning towards playing at GPLA? Mono blue outcome is my instinct right now. I think the deck is still excellent. I think that I like a lot of the work you guys did. You know, I'm talking about single card changes. I probably have an Aetherflux Reservoir in my deck. And I like where you got to with Karn. I get that Aetherflux Reservoir is quote unquote a bad card, but I like having that out. You know, you're going to have a lot of time to execute your game plan against Turbo Fog. And basically, I think if you have a copy in your deck, you can't lose. And if you don't, you can lose. So that's enough equity for me to take on a card, which is passable. It's fine at what it does. It's not spectacular, but it's fine. Uh, I want to try that. I want to look at all the splashes, but this deck still flew a little bit under the radar. It didn't really have that breakout performance, but a lot of very good players picked it up, and I believe correctly so. I still think this deck is absolutely excellent. I do too. Uh, that is my front runner. I, I guess my plan for right now is to double check my work with the red-black matchup, especially with the somewhat updated list from the Pro Tour, but I'm pretty sure that matchup is actually just good. I think so, too. I haven't found it to be problematic. It has a lot of cards, which when you see them, you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. But the games don't play out in a fashion where, I mean, you don't care that much when your Thopter tokens get chain whirled and getting an artifact abraded doesn't matter most of the time. It's, It's very strange how the games play out, but I've found in general, I feel totally fine about the matchup. I guess, you know, notable people who played the deck were... Matt Costa, PV, Matt Severa, and then there are some some weirdo lists out there too from the Pro Tour. I definitely recommend if you're interested in this deck to check out the lists. Yeah, there's uh, definitely room for more innovation and for this deck to have its shining moment, which I don't think it's had yet, but it's close. This is an excellent deck for sure. I think the splashes are nonsense. I will just say that. Okay. 
Uh, if anything, the red splash is probably the most appealing, but I don't think it gives you anything that you actually need. Yeah, it has to fundamentally change a matchup to, for me to be interested in it, right? And what are you really doing that's having that effect? I, I can't think of any access to any one card that's really going to swing things around. And and what am I fixing? Like, where is my concern? I don't have an answer to that. Joyra is cute, but I think Chandra's Defeat is the card that people are like, oh, it's really good against Red Black or yeah. Mono Red, but it's not the thing that you that it's not what you care about. Solve. It's not yeah. what you care about in the matchup. Yep, so I really like Commit to Memory. I think it is very potent in uh, the red-black matchup against Mono Green and Mirror Matches against Turbo Fog. I think that is probably the card that most people slept on where they were trying to figure out how to make this a combo deck where you needed to play multiple paradoxical outcomes and eventually Aetherflux Reservoir your opponent out. But with Inspiring Statuary, I found that using the Aftermath on commit memory was basically just as good. And you almost always won the game when you did that because you basically just got to make a bunch of thopters with Psy and had a huge mana advantage and you were just doing overall pretty broken stuff. Mm -hmm. I can buy that. I, I certainly won my share of games just doing Psy things and the reservoirs were a bit of overkill a lot of the time. Yeah. I've, I've yet to actually reservoir kill someone. It just never came up in the, I don't know, 10 leagues that I did. Uh, for how long did you have Reservoirs in your deck? About half the time. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I went from like two to zero, back to two, and then it was like, well, maybe I should play one because I wanted to add a 19th land, and maybe it should be a second Inventor's Fair because I definitely activated Inventor's Fair a few amount of times. I don't think that there was any specific time where I'm like, man, if I could get a Reservoir, like that'd be game. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough. I mean, the deck has a lot of moving pieces. I guess Ben Stark put it pretty well to me where he said that he didn't play the deck or their team didn't play the deck because it's this sort of combo-y deck where you want to draw exactly one of all of your cards, which is sort of true, but not really, you know? Like, I think you can make do in a lot of different spots, but yeah, definitely if you have a Statuary and a Psy and a Brawl's Expertise, like, your, your deck is kind of like functioning at high octane levels right right the multiples are, have diminishing returns there's no question about that right but you don't necessarily want to you know just play three of everything because some of the cards are so strong mm -hmm. so yeah it's kind of a kind of a tough call i know that i will not be going anywhere near red decks even the more low to the ground red decks do they have any appeal to you whatsoever well the problem is is that the bigger red decks are the most popular deck, and I think your matchup against them is not great. So, I, I mean, I want to play a deck that is good against red-black, not one that scoops to it, and not be super concerned with what the rest of the format is doing. The outcome deck, if anything, has a better matchup against the rest of the format than it does against red-black. It's like if you play against a control deck, you're golden. If you play against some slow mid-range deck like Grixis, you're golden. Right. So, I don't know. I, I like... I like that, trying to go 70-30 against red-black, maybe losing to mono-red straight up, playing like with a, a slightly weighted coin against mono-green aggro, and, and then that's it, and just like hope it's good enough. I think it might be. I think that might be a very fine approach, especially if you, you know, get your sideboard really ironed out and make sure you have those problematics swinging a little bit more in your favor in the post-board games. 
Yeah. Wish I had better plans against Mono Green. It's just like Brawl's expertise is basically the best card against them. Yeah. Metallic Rebuke on turn two is awesome and can be kind of bad after that, especially if you're already super far behind because then you have to start spending your mana tapping out to do stuff. But yeah, things, I don't know, like Aether Meltdown. Just yeah, aren't, I was just going to ask, were you, were you bringing really Aether cutting. Meltdown against them? Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's awesome against them. But it is one of those things where it's like you can't just draw a bunch of them because if they play Steel Leaf Champion or Ronis or whatever, like they have a bunch of cards where it's still like not even it doesn't even really trade one for one against them. You know? Right. Yeah. So for, it's, it's like 80 percent for one, which is right. not, not a great trade. And a lot of the people at the Pro Tour played Exclusion Mage, which is OK, but just super clunky and only really good if you have a statuary. And if I'm going to go that route, I'd rather just have more Brawl's expertises or commits or whatever. So, I don't know. There there needs to be some fine-tuning for sure. And uh, sometime over the course of this weekend, I'll be in the queues. Yeah, I look forward to working it out as well. This is the kind of deck that I can really sink my teeth into and, and really find some cool plans, some cool wrinkles for. So, hopefully before GPLA, I've done so. You know, we're able to come up with a sweet outcome list to share with our listeners prior to the tournament. Uh, and hopefully we'll see lots of our listeners there as well. Yeah, Liam uh, messaged me earlier today, I think, trying to talk about the deck. And I was just like, you know, if there's a bunch of people in the Discord who want to play it, like, I'll just pop in there and like, we can just talk about it with them in there. Right, right. And, you know, it's it's been a deck that's been very, people in the Discord are very excited about this deck. And I think rightly so. There's been a lot of work done. You know, one of our Discord members, Kane Reinhardt, was playing in the Pro Tour. He played the Red Splash with Jora and, you know, shared a lot of information about it in the weeks leading up to it. And certainly shared his deck list with all of our Patreons over in the Discord. So it, it's been a hot topic for quite some time. And I think we can get a lot more work done before we have to head out to GPLA. Yeah, that's awesome. Love hearing that. Mm-hmm. Navigator's Compass Main. Hell yeah. Oh. Come on, man. If you outcome it, it's great. Kind of. Sort of. Not really. Kind, kind of, sort of. <laughs> Aetherflux Reservoir is not a magic card, though. Uh, it is if you play one. That's that's my stance for the time being. We'll see if my tune changes as the week goes on. You just don't need it, man. It, it is good against Hyper Aggro Red, and that's it. Turbo Fog. It matters against Turbo Fog. Only in game one. And even then, I, I don't think it actually matters. Time will tell. I, I think you play one match in it, it will tell. <laughs> one ma- one match will tell. A very condensed period of time will tell. Yep. So... Let's jump back to modern real quick because I don't think we really finalized any of that stuff. The Vengevine decks are very good, very strong. Yep. They have a lot of kinks to work out. Uh, I think we had a pretty good medium speed version of the deck that could potentially be made a little bit stronger against some pillars of the format. We didn't have any actual sacrifice outlets, which hurts you a little bit against humans. And I either sacrifice outlet or main deck late lines. And I think that could help against humans because it is very clear at this point that humans is going to continue to be a very popular choice in the format going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of buying this main deck ley line idea. Just thinking about how popular this deck has become, you get your points there. There's certainly plenty of other decks that care about their graveyard. It's not like ironworks can't eventually deal with something like that but maybe not in game ones actually that might be super problematic for them explosives explosives on four yeah i guess they can do that dude benes did that a ton 
yeah. mean, those, that was definitely just in games that he was getting crushed. But yeah, so it's possible. But uh, you know, certainly points are gained there. And if it's also just very good against strategies that don't care about the graveyard, it starts creeping into main deck territory. Right. The deck is all just enablers, really. Like you have a huge density of various things that you really don't need that many of. It's just how many of each piece do you want? And then past that, like, what do you actually want? And there's, there's a pretty steep drop off. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you get to cut like the worst enablers for four ley lines, I think that's just a win. I can buy that. Something like hanger back Walker, which has never impressed me in the deck. Uh, You know, those, a a lot of those X's, even endless one. I I don't know. I, I think you can do better. Uh, and maybe Leyline is exactly that. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's really cool because we were we were struggling with those last few cards. Like we put a brutality in the main deck to save a sideboard slot. There's two copies of Goblin Lore in our list. We tried Cathartic Reunion, just hated it because you go hellbent so quickly. Mm-hmm. I could totally see going down to like three Bomat Courier, two Grave Crawler. Like there's just a lot of things that you can actually just shave on, and I think Leyline could provide like some pretty big benefits. But realistically, if you want to win in modern, it is probably humans. It's bugler time. Play a tune for us. I don't know. Cedric says it's bad. Nobody believes Cedric at this point, right? Like, aren't aren't we all just kind of rolling our eyes at him? Does Cedric even believe Cedric? I don't know. I I think you know how Cedric is. I think he has made this his talking point, and he is going to dig in his heels no matter what and not come off it. Bugler is insane and modern humans i am very very sure of it i'm pretty sure of it too i mean he's been talking to me the last week and a half or so just documenting his matchups and he's just like why would i ever want bugler here why would i ever want it here this card is so bad blah 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 and it's like all right man you're playing against the hyper hyper linear magic online metagame right right not as broad as as the general uh you know, FNM, PPTQ type scene, or even GP. Right. So I don't know. I, I think that control and mid-range is, and even mirror matches, it's just a big enough portion of the metagame to warrant it. I'm with you. No argument here. Uh, how do you feel about blue eye control? I am higher on it than I was. I believe that Terminus is probably the best removal spell you could be playing right now. I just don't know if playing removal spells is what I want to be doing. I, I certainly like blue-white much more than something like Jeskai, 100%. I, I think Terminus is a very well-positioned card in the format. I think a lot of the setup surrounding it is yucky. I think it's just like not super clean, and you're, you're doing so much less powerful things than everyone else in the format. Playing the deck is going to, at times, feel like an exercise in frustration, but having access to Terminus, it's worth a lot right now. It's it's a very, very powerful sweeper uh, in the format. I, I'm not a buyer yet, but I'm higher than I was in the past. Anger of the Gods is a close alternative. It is, but so few decks play it effectively. Yeah, I agree. And plus there is the portion of the field that is going to have a Tarmogoyf or whatever that your thing just doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that I don't know. I, giant creature. Or, I mean, the better example right now is Champion of the Parish or all the humans because of Thalia's Lieutenant. You know, things like that happen quite frequently. Right, but presumably you have some spot removal to go with your sweeper, right? Sure, hopefully. Hopefully. 
I don't know how often you're going to get punished for having anger and not being able to kill everything with it. Thing in the Ice is another cool thing that you can do that's like proactive and gives you a tempo advantage by removing their position. Right. I like that so, card quite a bit as well. I think that has the same problem as anger where it like, doesn't really go in a good deck. Like the blue red decks are okay, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, they go together, which is awkward because it's two cards we really like and you mush them into the same deck and you get something I really am not super high on. I mean, I like the, the individual cards in it, but the fact that you're leaning on blood moon, your control strategy has always felt problematic to me. It's just like you really need a, a bailout card and I win card. That's not the way control decks are generally built at least not successful ones so just the inclusion of that card it's already setting off alarm bells for me dude you know what's really gross hmm i'm doing a a little bit more of an in-depth look at the pt list right now cho was literally the only person to register vengevine and not some amount of bushwhackers really bushwhacker is not good i thought i saw a list that didn't have it nah all. All have some amount of bushwhackers. So you're of the opinion that bushwhacker is a complete mistake. Nobody should be playing it. And here we are with everyone at the Pro Tour disagreeing with you. Uh, not disagreeing. I think just probably not trying without it. Because they're all playing like a bunch of zero mana cards. and Right, right, right. It's just gross, man. It reminds me of, for the longest time, everyone playing reanimation targets in their dredge list. And it was just the de facto yeah. way you built dredge. Like, well, I have to be reanimating something. I need my flamekin zealot. And then you play troll, right? Just make your, make your stupid guys. They'll be fine. Your bridges will get the job done when your opponent has no cards in hand and is facing down a Golgari grave troll. It doesn't really matter. Yep. No, it's, it's the same, same deal here. Like I very rarely does bushwhacker into bridge tokens actually make the difference. What about in combo matchups? I mean, it it has to be impactful in those matchups where you're just goldfishing across from each other. Yes, but I feel like that's such a small portion of the format that it's not super important. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of Ironworks combo here, for sure. Yeah, but your deck is still pretty fast, and their deck is still pretty slow, and you have a ton of sideboard stuff. And especially if you have main deck ley lines, then I, I feel like you're just good all around. Like, th So the deck's like... Tron, KCI, we were fairly good against in testing. Like, Tron was very difficult to lose to as long as you played around the various permeations of things that they could have. Mm -hmm. And then the, the combo decks were just generally, like, you board in Disenchant, Leyline's Thought Seizes, like, whatever is applicable against them. And you board out a bunch of your stuff, so you're, like, a neutered version of your own deck. But you disrupt them long enough that, like, even if you just Vengevine on, like, turn one or turn two, just, like, the four power a turn is good that's enough, enough. Them. yeah i could buy that it was a fun process working on this deck man let me tell you because there's a lot of different things that you can do with it i believe that and i don't think i don't think we're done yet i think there's still a lot to figure no. out here and i'm sure every year or so there's going to be some new stitcher supplier s card that's just going to bust it open all right well you know that's the exciting part about modern is you never know what part of the card pool is going to be unlocked next vengevine sat here for years and years of modern and did nothing uh, now it's a player, so that's cool. God, what would I play in modern? I guess just humans? Maybe I'll try and run back Vengevine. I think I would be on humans right now. It's possible that I would put some work in trying to make Anger of the Gods thing in the ice work. I have a feeling I'm going to fail and just default yeah. back to humans. 
Yeah, don't do it. Just being so passive is not great. Right. Not a recipe for success generally in modern. And then for Legacy, who knows? I don't even know when the next time I have to play Legacy is. Could be a long time. Uh, the Legacy scene is not what it used to be, unfortunately. And, you know, there's good reasons for that. I I think there's a, a certain amount of reason and not spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a somewhat unsupported format at this point. I hope it doesn't become a fixture of Bro Tour play anytime soon. I, I don't really believe it will. I think this was a unique enough occasion that this one appearance was appropriate, but hopefully that's a wrap on Legacy at the Pro Tour. Yeah, I'd be down with that. I mean, unless there is like, you know, snow underground sea or whatever that gets printed at some point where right. just every everyone can play Legacy, then uh, whatever, just leave it be. You know, the card I've always wondered about is just Legendary Underground Sea, because at least it trims down the price point a little bit. Do you think that has any impact on making Legacy more accessible? Well, you see... It does trim down the price point uh, for underground seas that exist now, but when you double the player base, the demand still goes right, up. Right, right, right. There is that problem for sure. And basically anything that brings people to Legacy has the effect of further killing Legacy. So. Right. I mean, especially with, with Legendary Dual Land, it's like, okay, cool. Like People now have an entry point, right. but now you need $2,000 underground seas to complete your deck. Uh, it's just not going to happen. I got to let it go. That's that's what I'm saying. It's like snow underground sea or bust, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have one opponent, this enters the battlefield untapped. Right, right. The faux commander one. Yeah, I don't know. the The pro tour was fun. I I agree with you. I think people enjoyed it, but uh, a lot of that was attributed to the fact that it was a team tournament, and I think that that's mostly a miss. I mean, I think the formats as a whole were pretty good. I think that the games themselves, from what I've seen on camera, were pretty good. Yep. And overall, Magic's in a a decent spot. This isn't going to be the golden age of MTG or anything, but it's not completely heinous either. I agree with you. Some some very clear missteps on the management side. You know, there is the Nexus of Fate problem, which, as it stands now, it's kind of whatever. Like, granted, it's it's expensive. It's just more of, is it important of further things to come? Are there going to be other ways that standard legal cards are produced? It's scary. And it it brings a lot of uncertainty in the picture. And that's really the big issue with Nexus of Fate. Uh, It should have never been done. Now that it's happened, uh, we'll, we'll see what goes on going forward. I mean, I think this is an issue that people are pretty clearly united in. They do not want buy a box promos being standard players. It's It's just problematic. Unless it is in the set. Unless it is in the set, correct. If you want to put Celestial Colonnade or whatever as the buy a box promo or hell, like Foil Stitcher Supplier, I'd be down. Great. Yeah, I think that's great. Or, you know, do the marquee card. Who? I don't know. Uh, whatever. I, I don't really want to rehash this argument. I, I've talked about yeah. it at length, and I think people know how we feel at this point. Well, this, this actually kind of segues into the question, and if you want to just get to that. Sure, let's do it. Uh, so Skeptical Prince, a.k.a. Nick Prince, asks, after a couple years of problematic standards, what would you like to see Watsy do in the next year of sets to make standard a better format? I have a good answer to this, I think. Okay, I have an answer. I don't know if it's good. That'll be up to our listeners to decide. But I, I think there's right. there's two prongs to my approach. On the threats answers pendulum, I want to push things further to the answers side of thing. 
things. I think that's one of the big problems we're facing is it's just like you never come out ahead when you're answering a card ever. You always feel like you're giving up something. No, man, that's not entirely true because Goblin Chain Whirler is just the best answer we've seen in years, right? Okay, okay. Look, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. That's exactly it, is that the threat is also the best answer. Your your Chandra is a great answer. All of these things are threats as well as answers. And it's like, where are my really strong answers? That's what I think could push things into a, a more playable standard environment. The other thing I would point to, and I think I am hoping that M, or excuse me, Corset 19 was the first indication that people at Wizards feel the same way as I do about this. I want Planeswalkers to be different. I don't want them to be automatically the best cards in the color. I don't want them to really define the identities of all the decks in the format. I, I definitely don't want decks to be just mishmashes of good Planeswalkers. I think there there's a better way to make threats i i like the bane slayer angel style of threats and you know all of this goes in line with with bringing that pendulum a little bit further on the answer side because you can do it in two ways you can amp up the answers or you can tone down the threats either one does a lot to kind of bring the game back in another direction where games feel a little bit less snowbally a little bit less dependent on play draw and a little bit less predetermined i would say so those are my two options. Uh, it remains to be seen if they are successful in actually producing enjoyable gameplay. But I'm thinking back to my ideal standard formats, my favorite standard formats of all time. And I think that's kind of a hallmark of a lot of them. So that's my instinct. And I, I would like to see if it pans out. I don't disagree. And I think I would implement a lot of the same stuff. But I think... My favorite formats have tended to be the ones that just have a lot of playable options. And I don't mean that in raw decks or things like that, but just give me a lot of different options for ways to build my decks. And if there is something specific that rises up that is an issue, hopefully one of the many tools that exists will help me fight that to some degree. Sure, And maybe that means... You know, things like Goblin Chain Whirler that aren't just super busted, but it, it could also just mean like, well, here's this type of strategy that could actually be good against this thing, right? Basically, I just want them to make more playable cards. Okay. I think it was Patrick Chapin who spoke about the flatlining of power level and how that's kind of having a negative impact on standard. Uh, and he suggested more powerful cards would be beneficial because then it's not like everything's flat and you're able to do exactly what you're talking about, have more options, have more diversity. And to some extent, we're seeing that in modern right now. Right? That's what modern's about is that these all these powerful strategies and it's able to make a really interesting format when they're mashed against each other. Yeah, and modern also has every end of the spectrum covered. You Correct. Know? Correct. You have, you have beatdown, you have combo, you have aggro, disruptive aggro, control, etc. Like, Modern is kind of great because no matter what kind of magic you want to play, there is a viable strat. Whereas standard has been all mid-range mirrors. It, at least it feels that way sometimes. It's, right. it's an oversimplification, but it really has felt that way at various points over the last year or so. Well, it's also messed up because a lot of the, the ways to win in that arms race is to go more mid-range. Right. You might see 
decks like Mono Red slowly morph over the course of the season into something like Red Black Mid because it just ends up lining up better and giving you more game against the vast majority of decks that exist out there. Yes. And certainly some of that has to do with the really powerful three, four, and five mana cards, but a lot of those cards are Planeswalkers. So, yeah, Planeswalkers are super powerful. They tend to dominate what games are about and just the battlefield whenever they're present. And in order to have game against them, you just need to be playing more of a mid-range style of thing because those cards are a little bit more powerful than the hyper-aggressive stuff. And if you slip a Planeswalker through against a control deck, they just don't have great answers. So I think it is just like a combination of all of these things where Magic had these at various times. Yes. And right now, yeah, we're just we're just kind of missing a lot of stuff. It does feel that way, which is strange given how large the format is, right? It's one of the largest formats of all time, but it does feel like some pieces are missing. Well, there's there's just a lot of overlap because the sets have been designed kind of with the same stuff in mind, mm. and also so many cards have been banned too. That too. Like yeah. we we have a, one of the largest standard formats of all time technically, but a lot of the cards that were meant to be constructed shots are not there. And say it's like, uh, I guess if it's like 40 out of 200 or so, it's like maybe a fifth or a sixth of the cards are shots at constructed, something like that. Yeah. Probably, probably less than that. Maybe like an eighth or something. And if maybe an eighth of those are gone, then it's basically like we're, we're missing like a set or two from, uh, a full eight set standard. Yeah, I can I can buy that argument. There's certainly things that are meant to be represented that are not getting their play because of what's gone on. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, we're we're coming up on Ravnica, right? I am so excited for rotation. I yeah. I, I can't well, wait to play something that looks very different. Yeah, even aside from rotation, though, Ravnica, they know has to hit well. Mm-hmm. There, There is a certain amount of expectation there, and it's not like, oh, we're doing Kaladesh, we don't care if this is good or not, but it's just, I'm pretty sure there are just more eyes on it in general, too. I don't know if I buy that argument. I, it's not like they set out and they're like, okay, this set we don't care that much about, but this next set, this is the one we're going to make really good. I know, that's that's what I'm saying, right? But like, when you know that people are working on a Ravnica set, you're probably just going to be more interested. So we create this kind of expectation and then we fulfill it by being more excited maybe about what's in the set. And No, I'm, I'm talking about people internally. Like I would expect more people to want to check in on the set and see what it looks like. Okay, look, I have I have no concept of how things work behind the scenes at Wizards. To me, it would seem like you just always try and make the best product and everyone should be invested in that goal all the time. If that, if that's not the case and, you know, when people get excited about things, there's more hands-on, so be it. I, that's just my lack of understanding. But that seems strange to me in a lot of ways. I don't know. Say you're a designer or a developer and you're currently working on other projects, but you know that these other people are making a Ravnica. You do what you can to get on that project. You're saying not, not to get on it, but just like, Oh, maybe I'll like go through the file and and make some dev comments or whatever. You know, I I feel like more people are just going to be interested in checking on it. Maybe I'm way off base, but we as a community have high expectations for this sort of set too. 
That's true. And obviously, design and development are essentially members of this community who have just moved on to a new right. role. They were all magic players at some point. If anything, they're like bigger nerds about it than we are, you know? Right. My heart wants to believe that maximum effort is given at all times, but obviously that's not realistic for any human being. So I, I get what you're saying. Uh, hopefully you're spot on and Ravnica hits it out of the park. I, I know I'm super excited about it for sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe what I'm talking about doesn't exist or it does and it has no bearing on how good the set does or whatever, or how how well it ends up. Mm. But I don't know. It's just that sort of thing where it's, I would expect there to be more pressure and more more people looking at it, even if inadvertently. I hope you're right. I mean, it could just be great despite that, you know, or in spite of it. Sure. Yeah, uh, more more playable cards. Give us more options. We'll figure it out ourselves. I think that is in play currently with Modern. Large card pool. You can say what you want about Tron lands and stupid egg slash KCI decks, but... I mean, realistically, the tools there exist to fight whatever, and I think that's great. Like, Modern has shown a lot of natural churn over the course of the last year and a half, two years. Yes, it has. That should be our standard. There shouldn't be seven different playable red mythic rares at four mana, you know? (laughs) You're saying you don't like all dragons all the time? Dragons are tight. I have nothing wrong with dragons, but, you know, what if dragons get too good? You know, we need an angel or something. Right, a little something different. A little something different. So my initial plan was to mention this at the beginning of the cast, and I think we just launched into things and uh, forgot to mention this, but we have some announcements that we're making at the end of this cast, which is now. Mm-hmm. because Big announcements. Big announcements, because we want to get into things. So I'm going to try and hype this up on social media and stuff when we post it, seeing as how we did not actually talk about it in the beginning of the episode. I blame me. I I always blame you, so that works for me. Cool. All right, we're on the same page, as always. So, first things first, new stretch goals for the Patreon. Kind of things that are tied into this is that our deck boxes have finally arrived. Yes, can't And they are awesome, and they are going to be sent out very, very soon. And there was a sort of manufacturing error or snafu that occurred that prevented them from not arriving at the same time as the sleeves. So for the people who've been waiting for those, I sincerely apologize. It was out of my control, but we're going to get those to you as quickly as possible. And the next round of shipments for Patreon rewards is going to be completed by September 1st is what I'm aiming for. Awesome. I can't wait to have more stuff in the hands of our patrons. I know there's a lot of new members who have been waiting patiently to get their shipment, and it's time. They're going to have the game sleeves. They're going to have the game deck boxes. Some of them are going to have game play mats and be able to rep at all their tournaments coming up. And and I've been using basically all of these things. When I sit down to play Magic now, I'm a walking advertisement <laughs> for the game podcast. Do you like it? I, Do you like doing that? I I don't know. I feel kind of bad. I feel a little silly sometimes, but at the same time, I'm proud of what we do here. And ulti- I am too. Ultimately, I just want more people to listen. And I, I think people have, there's so many people who are always telling me how much they feel like they've benefited from our cast. I just want to share that with as many people as possible. So if I feel a little silly to do that, I'm cool with that. I'll, I'll look like a clown for a little while and be decked out from head to toe in game merchandise. But uh, as long as the word gets out there, that's all that I ask. Right on. So the other thing with regards to the Patreon is that we are adding a a, a new stretch goal for 3K per episode, which is uh, we're going to start 
Well, I mean, technically we already have the YouTube channel, right? But we're going to actually start and maintain a game podcast YouTube channel. So for what that entails exactly, I know what I would like to get out of it. And I don't necessarily know that I can provide that off the bat, but that is what we will be working towards. And what what I think is necessary is basically daily uploads, whether it's a five minute video or 30 minute video or whatever. It's like, that is what I will be shooting for eventually. Yeah. I, I mean, daily uploads is an incredible commitment, but look, if our listeners are showing us that kind of support, I'm in. I, I'm with it. I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to give content every single day. We've talked a bunch about things we can do. There's certainly enough for us to talk about. Uh, I mean, you know, we basically never shut up about magic. So there's there's plenty of territory to do. I like the video medium. I think there's a lot of cool stuff we can get done. So I, I hope people are really excited about that and really push to get that YouTube channel going. Kind of a new a new era for us, something new to set our sights on and try and take over. Well, <laughs> in in that vein, this next announcement is about expanding yeah. and uh, just becoming more of uh, an all-encompassing brand rather than just a singular-minded competitive Magic the Gathering podcast. And yeah, we're, well, we, I mean, Brian is uh, starting a new podcast that will hopefully be posted Monday. Episode one will be out Monday with Jonathan Carter. And just, yeah, tell us about that. Like, how did this happen? Yeah, so I am, I'm so excited about this podcast. It is called Head Games. Head Games is the newest member of the game podcast family. And the genesis for Head Games is if you've listened to the podcast for a while, or if you're one of our Patreons, you certainly know that we take questions every week. As we take these questions week after week, the things that always, always, always come up are things about kind of the psychological aspect of playing Magic the Gathering, how to deal with tilt, how to deal with failure, proper preparation prior to a tournament. Now, we do our best to answer these questions, but I don't know anything about psychology and optimizing the human condition. But thankfully, amongst our patrons, we found someone who is extremely qualified in that field. Jonathan Carter has worked with a bunch of professional esports orgs uh, in Counter-Strike, in League of Legends. He's worked with some Smash players. He's worked with the Overwatch League most recently. He also works with the U.S. Army on you know clinical psychology designed to optimize performance in competitive situations. And that's exactly what Head Games is going to be about. You know, we're going broader than just magic. You, we're not going to talk a lot about specific magic stuff on the podcast. It's not going to be talking about decks or sideboarding plants. It's about finding the best you you can bring to the table in any competition, be it, you know, esports, be it athletic endeavors. You know, if you're a weightlifter or you're a sprinter, I'm hoping there's something there for you on the podcast as well. And, uh, this project is so exciting. I really think Jonathan has so much to give to supporters of the Game Family of Podcasts. He knows so much, and he's going to do a lot to make you all better at whatever competitive endeavors you want to do. And that's what we're really here for, is to make people better. And I think this is just the latest wrinkle in our approach to, to make you all the best Magic players, really the best people you can be. We've done some work already. There's so much cool stuff we talk about, so much 
optimization of the psychological process we get into, you guys are going to love this cast. I, I can't wait for people to listen to it. It's going to be really cool. We talked earlier about how I try to get like the most value out of each of my tweets. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to just spew off random nonsense. And to that end, I hope people realize that I do not just endorse every single little thing. Right. Right. If, if I am endorsing something like I I'm the only founding member left of this podcast, right? Like this, this is effectively like my brand kind of, Mm -hmm. and I would not allow it to expand unless this product was actually incredible, which it is. Uh, I I listened to the first episode. It's a first episode and it's still so good. And dude, like you're, I I'm super impressed with just you as full hosting duty. You're awesome. Jonathan is just as good as I thought he would be. Yep. And your idea for the first episode was incredible. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. That means the world to me. Um, obviously, you know, I couldn't be here without you endorsing me and believing in me. So that, for real, I really do appreciate that. And you're, you're spot on. Jonathan was everything I thought he would be. He He's so... He takes his job so seriously. You can tell how just well studied. He loves how, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it really shines through in this first episode. So if it sounds like I'm gushing, I absolutely am. You guys are going to love this cast. I'm, I'm very confident. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Yeah, I, I am also super excited. I can't wait to see the reaction. And I mean, this is cool. It's like we we do a podcast every week, right? And I don't feel like I can advertise it every week because I think people will just get sick of it. And then their initial reaction is just going to be of negativity. And, you know, whenever I see this thing, I'm annoyed by it or whatever. So I don't want to plug it too much or whatever. But I think this podcast, I'm just going to beat people over the head with because it is so good. I mean, it's just it's it's only goal is to benefit listeners and to find ways for them to deal with this crazy thing we call life that we all like struggle through on a day-to-day basis and, and try to find our way through. And here's someone who's dedicated his his craft, his life to helping others and to, to helping them get the most out of their tools and their personality. And it's just really cool to be a part of being able to share that. I know I'm gushing at this point, but seriously, yeah. you guys are going to love this. Now we're, we are incredibly lucky to have Jonathan and like that he found us, yep. you know, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I hope to, at some point, make a guest appearance on the podcast, we, if you'll have we me. We can't wait to have you. It'll be awesome. Word. All right. Last thing. You ready for this? Uh, I'm ready. This is, I mean, all of these announcements are so exciting. This is really cool, though. It's something we wanted to do for so long. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've had a few meetings about these various things, and obviously Pro Tour and testing and all that gets in the way, but I am back home. Uh, we had uh, a kind of final meeting to figure out all of this stuff and kind of plan it and everything. And I'm very happy to be able to talk about all this stuff. So uh, it is currently Tuesday, August the 7th, when we are recording this. This podcast should go up on August the 10th. I guess I don't know when I'm going to start the poll for this, but my plan is to close the poll on Tuesday and then have auctions up on Sunday. The poll is going to be about which charity will these auctions benefit? And then the auction, 100% of the proceeds are going to go to this auction that is chosen by the members 
uh, of the Patreon who are in our Discord. So we have five different charities that we want people to select from. We didn't necessarily want to pick something ourselves. We wanted people to have a chance to help influence where this ends up going uh, so they can feel good about it and feel like they contributed and made some sort of an impact. And yeah, we're, we're doing a charity auction and anyone who has, you know, followed me probably knows that this is just something that I am trying to do more and more because I think it's rad. We have a, we have a bunch of cool stuff over the last few years of me playing in pro tours. I've acquired a lot of swag that I have been saving for basically just this moment. And I think it's time. Do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of items are going to show up in the auction? Just a, just a little sneak peek. Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, I, I'm sure as <laughs> I'm like cleaning out closets or whatever, like I'm going to find more rad stuff. Right. But the things that you can definitely expect are the various Pro Tour swag bags that they give away at Pro Tours. So they'll have like the drawstring bags, maybe some deck boxes, some sleeves, I have my Pro Tour badges that I'm happy to get rid of. Uh, I have things like uh, my Metagame Gurus jerseys that I wore last year, including like the one that I got second with at Rivals of Ixalan. There's Funko Pop Nickel Bolas Pro Tour exclusive that you donated. Also a Dual Decks Anthologies, several playmats. Uh, I have a lot of the Pro Tour playmats too, the Pro Tour exclusive playmats. So a lot of cool stuff, man. Yeah, just basically, you know, finding magic memorabilia that we can put out there and and use to give back to causes that are important to us. I'm so excited to be able to do this. It's something that's been important to me from the beginning that we find ways to give back to the community and, and to the larger community, to the world, really. And I think this is a really great, great way to do so. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that we're going to put up some game swag in this auction too. And oh, absolutely. The, the question we get more than anything else is, how can I buy these sleeves? Well, sleeves are, in almost all circumstances, Patreon only. That's, you know, we want a gift for our patrons. We want to keep them very exclusive. But in this one, one instance where it's for charity, we're going to open up the doors a little bit. And even if you're not one of the higher te- tiers of patrons, you'll be able to put out some bids for some game merchandise and maybe get your hands on some sleeves or some deck boxes or some play mats. And obviously, anything you guys want signed, we're happy to sign for you. I think this is just going to be an awesome, awesome thing and hopefully generate a lot of money for some charity. Yeah, so we have five different charities picked out. Do you want to do you want to call an exact time for the poll to close in the Discord like Tuesday midnight Pacific or something? That sounds about right cuz we have some some deadlines we need to meet and we want to make sure we have the auction up before we head out to GPLA. Let's go with that. Let's go Tuesday at midnight is when the the poll is going to close. Yeah, so as soon as this episode is live I will open the poll in the Discord if you want to participate and vote for which charity you want uh, all of our proceeds to go to. Cool. We would love to have you. Absolutely. And then uh, the poll will close Tuesday, August 14th, uh, midnight Pacific. The five charities that we have put up uh, as options are in no particular order. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Planned Parenthood, BestFriends.org, 
the ACLU and Charity Water. All awesome causes. I, I think no matter who we ultimately decide to go with, uh, I'm very pleased with it. A, a lot of people out there who need our help, and here's just a little a little way to do so. Yeah, so I, I think it's really cool. I mean, with with these five, like you said, I feel like we can't lose. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what, it's going to somewhere where we are super excited to attempt to help benefit them in some way. But this way, it's just like we get to let other people decide. And, you know, that's that's their contribution. And if people want to share it on social media, like that's that's another huge thing that people can do. And I, I think that that is just mostly understated for how impactful and how helpful it is, you know? Right, so, right. Especially with something like this where, you know, this extends a little bit outside the magic community. There's no reason people can't participate just as a way to give to a charity here. Uh, even if they're not in super into the swag, maybe they'll just like the look of the metagame guru's jersey and really want to pick it up. Regardless, so. <laughs> they're like, Thompson, my name's Thompson. <laughs> whatever, that's great. Whatever gets the money to the charity. That's all I care. I don't care what the motivation is as, as long as it gets the money there. Are you going to be lobbying for any particular one of these charities? Or are you just going to let the chips fall where they may? No. And Okay. Absolutely not. I mean, people know that I have donated to Planned Parenthood in the past. I have done some stuff for mental health. Uh, for you know my birthday thing on Facebook, I did charity water. Uh, I I like animals a lot, and uh, as far as the ACLU is concerned, it's just like a, a very very important thing, especially right now. Right, right. So I, I'm not going to lobby for either because I'm super stoked with any of them. I'm with you. I'm with you. I feel the same way. But yeah, if if people were thinking like, oh, I'm going to vote for this because this is what I think Jerry would want to do. It's like, no, nah, you're wrong. Like <laughs> totally wrong. But, Incorrect. Yeah. Just vote for whatever you want. Yeah. Follow That's, your heart. That is, that is what I want. Well, we got, uh, we got some stuff coming up and I guess like GPLA too. That's not a thing that we officially announced. Yeah. We'll both be at GPLA. Anyone who wants to come up and say, hi, talk about the game podcast. We would, we would love to, maybe we could do some kind of, uh, you know, meet up, something like that. We'll see what's in the cards and, and how things go. Uh, hopefully we can all get to know each other a little better, spend a little time together. It should be dope. Maybe one of us will yeah. win the tournament. That would be cool. Uh, well, we're also going to be spell slinging on Friday morning. That's right. That's right. Start- so you can sit down and play some games with us for sure. Starting at noon. We got a brew, man. We got to come up with some sweet decks. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have cool stuff for sure. I got, I got to finally put that jury end deck together. That's a cool one. Uh, what am I going to focus on? I don't know. I need, I need some more time with this. I'm going to. You're just going to. You're just going to like Tron and KCI people. No, I'm not going to Tron people. You paint me like I'm the world's greatest monster. Like seriously, you are. no, you're, dude, you're just a huge villain. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's game.